Sunday. The first is our Bible prophecy update that we do weekly. And then second service is actually the sermon, which is a verse by verse study through the Word of God. Last week we finished the book of James. And I'm really looking forward to starting in 1 Peter today. Uh, we're going to look at why it is that we can choose, keyword choose, hope, instead of fear or anxiety in the midst of persecution, trials and hardships. Anybody going through a trial? No? Should we just close in prayer? All right. Well, that'll be live streamed at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time. And uh, it'll be on the website. It'll also be on YouTube and Facebook. But for those of you that are on YouTube and Facebook right now, we would encourage you to go directly to the website, jdfrog.org, for the uncensored and uninterrupted entirety of today's update. So with that, let's jump in. I want to borrow this well-known idiom of the tail wagging the dog, but from a prophetic perspective in terms of Bible prophecy. Now the tail wagging the dog is understood as something less important that will dominate a situation which results in a role reversal, if you will. Another definition of this idiom carries with it the idea of something important or powerful being controlled by something less so. And I realize that saying this might seem like I'm painting the prophetic canvas with a broad brush, but I'll say it nonetheless. I'm likening the world to the tail and the church to the dog. And the reason being is that the roles have been reversed with the world influencing the church instead of the church influencing the world. And this is a prophecy, by the way, that in the last days this is what would happen. This is what the condition of the church would be. And here's what's sad, and it is sad. The church today has become lukewarm in its impact and usefulness, due in large measure to its mixing with the world, so as to be more like the world. I'll just speak for myself and parenthetically say that I thank God that when I was saved and delivered out of the world, and I stepped foot into a church, that it wasn't like the world, because what would the point be? If the world that I'm coming out of and the church that I'm going into, there's no difference, then why would I come out of the world? Well, Revelation chapter 3. Can you join me there? I want to begin reading in verse 14 through to verse 22. Let me set the stage. If the book of Revelation, particularly this chapter or these two chapters in chapters 2 and 3 are new to you, which is fine. These two chapters in Revelation are actually seven letters that Jesus had John write to seven actual physical churches located in Asia Minor. We know it today as modern day Turkey. These were seven physical churches in seven cities there in that area and region at the time. And they actually were in a, a postal route. So these letters were actually written by John, dictated by Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And John was told to write these letters and send them to these churches. 
to the pastor, to the angel. <laughs> That's the word messenger, the, the pastor's the angel. So I was just saying. So these letters were sent to the angel of the church. And it was to be read to that church. And the year is about 95 AD when this took place. And by the way, John has been banished to the island of Patmos, about 50 miles off the coast of Turkey, left there to die. Church historians tell us that this after he was thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil and didn't die. And so what are we going to do with this guy? We're trying to kill him and martyr him, and he refuses to die. That's because God still has a plan for him and work for him. So they didn't know what to do with him. So they banish him to this island. Perfect, right on schedule. And he's given this vision, this revelation that we know as the book of Revelation in our Bibles. And these two chapters, chapters two and three, have seven letters to seven churches. And it's the seventh church that I would like to draw your attention to today. And it's the church that was located in the city of Laodicea. You can actually visit the ruins of this ancient city. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it at this time. But it was a thriving, and as we'll see, very prosperous city at the time. Now verse 14, John is told to write by the Spirit, and to the angel of the church, listen, of the Laodiceans. Stop right there. We need to talk about this, because the six churches prior, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, or Pergamon, a Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, every single one of those churches, it's to the angel of the church in Ephesus, in Smyrna, in Pergamos, in Thyatira, in Sardis, in Philadelphia. But when he gets to Laodicea, he doesn't say to the angel of the church in Laodicea. No. He says to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, not even my church anymore. That's going to come into play in a moment. Right. These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, verse 18, to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed. By the way, they were also known for being these worldwide famous manufacturers of black wool garments. And yet they were naked. And Jesus is having John write to them, clothe yourself in white garments, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And this is key. Hang on to this one too. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, 
I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And then he ends the letter as he does the other letters in verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay. Dare I say that this church in that day is alive and well today, and as such points prophetically to the church in this, the last days. And this for no less than three reasons, the first of which is the world's infiltration of the church with its man-centered pop culture. So much so that the popular opinion of the people culturally and socially actually rules and makes all the decisions spiritually. What if I told you that that's what the name means? The name is the nature. Laodicea, combination of two words, laos and dikao, the laity decide, the rule of the people, the people decide, the people rule, the popular opinion, socially and culturally. That's how the decisions are made for this church. So it's, let's do a demographic study. What do the people want? Let's, let's uh, do a poll. Let's, let's do some research. Let's, let's see, what do the people want? And then we'll do what the people want, because that's what's going to make that decision, Laodicea. The second reason this last day's church is alive and well today has to do with Jesus having John write concerning worldly wealth. Now it's important to understand that the city of Laodicea, among other things, was known for its wealth as the center for big banks. But they did have a problem, and it was a pretty serious problem, because they had a water problem. See, they relied on this fresh water supply there in Laodicea that would come from Colossae. But in the summer that would dry up. So what are we going to do? Oh, problem solved. We'll just throw money at it. We have the money. They were so wealthy that they constructed this elaborate and very expensive aqueduct water system to bring water from Hierapolis down to Laodicea. And it worked. They actually got water from the natural hot springs in Hierapolis. <laughs> but the only problem is that by the time the water got from Hierapolis down to Laodicea, those hot springs were no longer hot. The water was lukewarm. And if this weren't bad enough, it would also get polluted, which in turn would make people nauseated and sick, vomiting it out. Oh, wow. <laughs> so when Jesus has John write this letter, do you see that they would have really understood the imagery and the metaphors and the pictures? that were being painted on the canvas of this rebuke. And by the way, this church, no commendation from the Lord, the only church that is not commended for anything, rather rebuked for everything. Well, this brings us to the third reason that this 
last day's church is alive and well today. And interesting, it has to do with John writing concerning their advanced medical procedures, if I can say it like that. Specifically, as it relates to this cutting edge medical school there in Laodicea, which is believed to have been world famous, famous worldwide for their ISAV. I uh, actually did some research on this, and uh, it's believed that they actually had this powder, this cutting edge medical procedure, and they actually put it into the form of a pill and exported it. And then they would grind, grind it back down and put it on their eyes, and it would help with vision problems. So I guess no need for reading glasses. I just got ISAV from Laodicea. Very expensive, but I can afford it. That's what they were known for. Oh, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that this city and this church in that city was known for their medical and pharmaceutical industry? Yeah. In fact, that was one of the main reasons that Laodicea had amassed so much of their wealth, as you might imagine. As far as they were concerned, they had everything and were in need of nothing, not even the Lord, which explains why Jesus is on the outside and has to knock to come back in. It's ironic, isn't it? Notice the irony with me, and please just hang in there with me on this. How, how ironic is this? I mean, you, you are known for your ISAV to improve eyesight, but yet you're blind. And you, you see yourself as having need for nothing. You, you need for nothing. You want for nothing. You have everything. But the reality is you're blind to the fact that you're wretched and you're miserable and you're poor. You think you're wealthy, you're poor. You think you see, you're blind. You think you're clothed in the latest fashion of the day, you're naked. If you were to ask me why it is that I truly believe with all my heart that we are at the end as the church, my answer would be this, look no further than to the Laodicean church. It should be noted that this is the last of the seven churches for good reason. It serves as a prophetic picture of the end, in the end, namely the condition, the lukewarm condition of the church at the time of the end, the last church in the last days. Example, illustration. Stay with me. You have a glass of water, cold water. We can use boiling water, whatever you want. Take your pick. Set that water in a room and leave it. And it's not long before now that water will acclimate to the temperature of the room and become lukewarm. Oh, I started off with ice cold water, Woo! especially on a hot day. Or how about hot water? both of which are useful. Well, what about water that's lukewarm? <laughs> what use is that? It's useless. It's, can I say this word, feckless? You know what that word means? 
has no impact. It's, there's no effect. It does not change anything. It's been changed. That has now become acclimated to the temperature of the culture, the room, the environment. Now that, that glass of water has become like these surroundings. No wonder. You know, the common denominator with all of this is that this church was deceived. No, oh, by the way, this is a church and these are Christians. But they need to repent because they become lukewarm. How, how did that happen? Because they were deceived. They were deceived. It's called self-deception when you don't see yourself as God sees you. How do I see myself as God sees me? Oh, in the mirror of God's Word, it shows me me. Oh, I don't want to, whoa, I don't want to, whoo. Kind of like when, especially when you get to a certain age, you wake up, you look in the mirror and then you wince and it's like, oh Lord, come quickly. There's hair where it shouldn't be and hair, no hair where there used to be. And anyway, enough of my problems, but you get the point. The mirror shows me my true condition. But see, they're deceived into thinking that they're actually not in that condition. Well, when Paul writes to Timothy, a pastor of a church, in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says, that in latter times some will depart from the faith, listen, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Okay, wait a minute. So these are Christians, yes. This church in Laodicea is a church, yes. But they've been deceived, yes. Um, deceiving spirits. Did you know that Satan has doctrine? Oh, it's deceptive doctrine. And they give heed to these deceiving spirits, these doctrines of demons that apparently have infiltrated the church. This is a letter to the church. This is not to the world. You're not going to depart from the faith, if you've not first come to the faith, to depart from it. When he gets to his second letter, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, he very specifically says, these are the markers. This is what will characterize the last day's church at the time of the end. Mark this. This is the church now, not the world. We expect the world to act like the world. We don't expect the church to act like the world, right? There will be terrible times in the last days, perilous times. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love or natural affection, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Have a nice afternoon. This is to the church. This is to the church. And look at the specificity in which Paul, by the Spirit, writes to Pastor Timothy. 
this is what will characterize. You want to know what the last day's church is going to look like? Right here, 19 things. You can check them off. It gets worse in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, beginning in verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing, that's the rapture, and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Yeah, but Paul, Timothy would say, I, they don't want to receive correction. I can't rebuke them. They'll, they'll just go to the church down the street. And Paul's going to talk about the church down the street, beginning in verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, sound doctrine. And by the way, let me just again parenthetically say, search the Scriptures and see if what I am saying is true and biblical and sound. Search the Scriptures for yourself. Is this sound? Yes. Is this biblical? Yes. Is this popular? No. No. And we're living in a day, in this, the last days, where people in the church will not tolerate or put up with anybody that's preaching the Word, sound doctrine. Oh, they're, they're not? No. What are they going to do instead? Oh, instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. I don't know what to say, but that's exactly what's happening. These prophecies and the many others like them describe this last day's church in a word, deception. Deception. Again, I, it's ironic, and I find it rather interesting that the church of Laodicea was so deceived that they were blind to the reality of their spiritual condition. And so too is this true for the church today. And the fact of the matter is, it's yet another indication of just how close we are to the end. Please don't misunderstand me, and please hear my heart. I am not bashing the church. I am only teaching the truth about Bible prophecy, and how Bible prophecy tells us that this is what the church will be like at the time of the end. And we're there. The church is like this. Well, doubtless you already know where I'm going with all this, so I'll get to the point and expound on this for the remainder of our time. I'm not going to take a lot of time, but we'll go ahead at this time and end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook. Because we've talked about this in prior updates over the past two and a half years, and in the interest of time, I'm just going to share with you this screenshot from the FEMA 
web page. This is on Wednesday of last week, by the way. And it's titled, Federally Supported Community Vaccination Centers. In it, they show, as pictured here, the types of community vaccination centers, stating, quote, we provided support to established community vaccination centers to expand access to vaccines. As you can see, churches are one of four community vaccination centers, FEMA centers, boasting approximately 250 vaccinations a day. Pastor, with all due respect, why are you still talking about this? Answer, and you'll forgive the bluntness with which I say this, why am I still talking about this? Because people are dying from this. Um, I spent some time this last week, I, yeah. again, please bear with me. I wanted to see what these ministry leaders were saying now, some whatever, two years plus later. These are pastors and well-known, very well-known leaders that were actually promoting this. And I'm going to name them. Franklin Graham. How about Robert Jeffress, who said <laughs> that any pastor who doesn't encourage his congregation to get this vaccine is an idiot. Well, I wanted to see, what's he saying now? Because, you know, the CDC is kind of, you know, under the radar, kind of um, Friday night thing, you know, when everybody's asleep, and we'll just go ahead and release this new, you know, ho hopefully nobody sees it. We'll post the updated stats and figures and facts on the website, but you have to, um, I think, be a, I don't know what, a physicist, a physician, a, a chemist, a mathematician to be able to go through that data and come to the conclusion that people are dying. So I wanted to know, what are these guys saying now? Crickets. Crickets. I, <laughs> Again, bear with me. I'll, I'll get it out. Um, wait a minute. So let me see if I got this straight. Nobody's talking about it now? Well, you were sure talking about it then. Well, yeah, but it, it's kind of, we're getting back to normal. Oh, you think that? You think that? Uh, try to tell the people that are still losing their jobs over not getting this injection. You t tell them that. Yeah, but come on, Pastor, lighten up. I'm not going to lighten up. I'm going to double down. Yeah, but come on. Don't you think you're, you're kind of, I mean, just get over it. Get over it. The one thing that happened in its 
fulfillment of Bible prophecy and the trajectory on into the seven year tribulation, exactly as we were told it would happen, is happening. And I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to warn people. I had someone the other day tell me, you know, a lot of people left when you went crazy. It's like, wait a minute. I was always crazy. So why did they come in the first place when we first started the church? I know what she meant. It was basically in 2020. I'll never forget it, March. In fact, afterwards, I was like, Lord, because <laughs> it's one of those moments, Holy Spirit moments. It wasn't in my notes. And I just said it. This is how it ends. We ain't ever going back. This is how it ends. And here we are two and a half years later, and nobody's talking about it. I wonder why. Hmm. Oh, maybe it's because of what you see there on the screen. The church is opening its door. Jesus is knocking on the door that they're opening to vaccinate people. How's that one? And by the way, where is that in here? I'm just curious. The church has been rendered impotent. The church like that water has now acclimated to the temperature of the culture. It's lukewarm. It's compromised. It's no longer effective. There's no influence on the world. I mean, if the church isn't going to speak the truth, who is? Yeah, but it's not popular. Well, you can ask Jeremiah about that. By the way, Thursday night we're going to resume our study through Jeremiah. Whew. He tries to quit, you know, after being incarcerated and tortured. He's like, that's it, God, I quit. You tricked me into this calling. I mean, it's kind of a loose paraphrase, but that's basically what, what he's saying. <laughs> There's only one problem, Jeremiah. I love you, man, but Slaves can't quit. And actually kind of comes to a sense, it's really, uh, I can't wait till Thursday, I, I tell you. He's like back and forth. You know, one minute he's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hang in there and I'm going to speak the truth no matter what. I know it's unpopular. I know it's probably going to get me killed. I know nobody wants to hear it but it's the words you put on my mouth, and they burn within me. I can't not. And then he has another meltdown, two verses later. He's like, I, that's it, I can't take it anymore. And then two verses later, Lord, you, who is like unto you? And then two verses later, Lord, I, I quit again. <laughs> Jeremiah, you, hang in there. It's going to be okay. You're, you're going to make it. God's going to see you through this. And He does. So, Pastor, what's your point? My point is, is that we shouldn't be surprised, because this is the last church in the last days. And you see it right there on the screen. We're, 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 what's, the, where's the, what's the difference? Oh, I can, let's see, which one's more convenient? I can go to the school, I can go to the hospital, the medical center, the stadium, or the church. What's the difference? Hmm. They're all the same. Now, please don't, again, misunderstand me. I'm not talking about dominion theology or kingdom now theology or new apostolic reformation where we got to take back the world. You know, the seven mountain mandate and no. 
I'm not talking about taking over the world. I'm talking about reaching the lost in the world for Jesus. Okay. Last week and this week, I, I, I come to the end. You're at the end? Yeah. Don't look at your watches. We're almost done. But I come to the end and it's, it's like, Lord, this is only the proverbial tip of the iceberg. And What I shared, what I just shared with you today, it's just the tip of the iceberg. I'll go back to the metaphor that we began with, the idiom, the tail wagging the dog. I think the world has dictated to the church what the church can and cannot do. And as such, we are powerless and compromised and lukewarm. And Jesus isn't even in that church anymore. He's knocking on the door, asking to come back in. You know, last week we were talking about not getting angry, just getting ready, <laughs> which <laughs> I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> Lord's doing a work in my life in that area. I've come a long ways, by the way, by the grace of God. But I have a choice now before me. I can get angry and start ranting and yelling, which I'm really good at that, by the way. It is a custom in my country, by the way. <laughs> we yell very well, very well. Um, but what good is that going to do? And, and why get angry? I mean, I told you that this is what was going to happen at the time of the end. If anything, this shouldn't make you angry. This should make you very excited. If you're right with me and ready for me, then you know, this means only one thing. <laughs> you're out of here, baby. You're out of here. Because I'm going to come and I'm going to take you, as I promised I would. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And <laughs> the place that I'm preparing for you, man, I'm thinking, I'm just kind of doing the math in my head, 2,000 years. I've been working on that for 2,000 years. Every time I go Kailua Beach, which isn't very often, I walk down flags and they're building these, I mean, mansions. And I have to confess, there's, you know, I know that in me there dwells no good thing, the Apostle Paul said, that is in my flesh. And my flesh rears its ugly head and envy and, wow, look at this place, right on the beach. It's huge. I think the restroom is the size of my house, in just the guest house. Wow. How cool would this be? And the Lord's going, what? You're going to settle for that? Oh, listen, the place I'm preparing for you, you know that they poured concrete. Uh, you're, you're not getting concrete, it's going to be gold. Oh, okay. Never mind. Never mind. I'm good now. I forgot. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. I forgot. We're going to talk about this in First Peter, when it comes to hope, choosing hope. I choose hope, not anger, not fear, not anxiety. 
I choose hope because this is our blessed hope. And it's not a hope like I, I sure hope so. No, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. It's just a matter of time. And that's the good news. And that's why we end with the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And it's also why we do the simple explanation of salvation with the ABCs of salvation. Let me, let me start with the, the gospel. And please, I hope that, because I know we do this every week and we have for how many years now, but please don't let it be rote. You know what I mean by that? Because I, I remember I, I touched on this last week. Maybe I have a little bit more time this week. But when we say gospel, the word gospel means good news. Your debt has been paid. You are free to go. Now, we love good news, right? You know, when somebody comes to you and says, hey, I've got bad news and I've got good news. Which one do you want first? To which I always respond, get thee behind me, Satan. I'll take the good news, take your bad news and hit the, hit the road. I don't want to hear any bad news. I want to hear good news. What's the good news? Well, you're going to get a raise. Oh, that's good news. Uh, this happened. Oh, that's good news. That's just good news. But this is the good news. Because you see, on that day, a pay raise, though good news, is not the good news. It's of no use to me. On that day, this is the only good news I want to hear, is that I'm saved. And the reason I'm saved is because Jesus came and died for me in my place. And He was buried, and He rose again from the dead on the third day. And good news, He's coming back again one day soon and very soon to catch you away and take you away to that place that He prepared for you in His Father's house. I'll take it. Much. Those of you online, never mind. <laughs> it's, a, it's a local thing. <laughs> but I'll take it. No need for sign, because He paid it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I could never do it that good. So I'm not even going to try. I'll ruin it. Brah. But anyway, it's He did it. He paid in full for me, because of His love for me. He died for me, and I'm saved. And that's the good news. What are the ABCs? Again, this is not a formula. Please don't make a formula out of it. It's actually just a simple tool to equip you so you're at the ready to give to everyone an answer of that hope that you have in Jesus Christ. It's just a simple explanation. And the A is just for admit or acknowledge. I mean, until and unless you acknowledge that you're a sinner, why would you need a Savior? Romans 3.10 says, there's no one righteous, not even one. You might be a good person, but you'll never be good enough. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. That's what the word sin means, by the way. It's an archery term. You missed the bullseye. You sinned. We've all fell short, missed the mark of God's perfect standard of righteousness. Now what are we going to do? Well, we have a big problem. Because with that missing of the mark and sin comes a penalty. And it's the death penalty, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. I want you to notice this word, key word, the gift of God. Good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So who paid for the gift? Jesus did. He signed for it. He paid for it in full. What did it cost him? Everything. 
because no greater love hath any man that he lay down his life for another. So He paid in full, and it is finished, period, not comma. Nothing else to do. I've been paid for, bought and paid for. I am not my own, but I'm purchased with a price. He paid the price in full, and He offers all of us, because all have sinned, this gift that He paid for, and it's the gift of eternal life that we receive. It's that simple. You, you can't pay for it, because now it's not a gift, it's a purchase. And you also, by the way, you can't re-gift it either, <laughs> because you can try, you can share it, but you can't re-gift it. That's the A, here's the B, and this is so central, because really it's as simple as B. I mean, we say as simple as ABC, it's actually as simple as B. Believe. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. For God so loved the world, loved the world, not to condemn. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. God loves you. Satan brings condemnation, but Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. This is important, because He had to defeat death. He had to rise again from the dead. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. He defeated death. Death no longer has a sting. And the C, lastly, is for call upon the name of the Lord, or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, confess with your mouth. And this is the expression when you believe in your heart. This is just what comes out. It's a confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And Romans 10, 13, lastly, it says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's childlike simple. Would to God that we would not complicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's very simple. Well, let me end with today's But God testimony. It comes from Ali Andraski. You're going to see why I chose this one here in a moment. She writes, Dear Pastor J.D., I'm an online member from central Wisconsin, sadly reporting the deaths of my healthy mother and healthy husband, and how correct you were about the vaccine, and how hospice is killing people. My husband insisted that we all get the jab so we could have family gatherings with the grandchildren. We all have the jab, same batch on the same day, May 3rd, 2021. My mother and husband both developed cancer over the summer, and by October hospitalized. Lung cancer for mom, and internal melanoma for my husband, Ken. By December, my mom was placed in hospice. She was literally walking around for two weeks. Then overnight, I was told she had slid and couldn't breathe and that they wanted to give her morphine. The family agreed, but what they didn't say was that once on morphine, they take away all food and water. It took my mother five long days for her body to shut down, and she passed away. In January, my husband Ken went into hospice. Same thing. After one week, they said his health slipped, and he needed morphine. I said, no. When I was gone, 
and he had his adult children in with him, the nurse convinced them to put him on morphine. I told them what would happen, but they convinced their dad to stay on it. Sure enough, they took away all food and water, and it took five long days for his body to shut down, and he passed away on my birthday. But God knew how stressed my husband was, that he could not even buy me a birthday card. Every day he could talk. He told me how sorry he was, that he couldn't get me a card or flowers. This was his special gift. My mother and husband had the same radiology oncologist. You can imagine how surprised he was when he saw me in his office for, you guessed it, cancer, breast. Neither my husband or I had been on any prescriptions. No cancer has ever been in my family until my mother was diagnosed. I told the radiology oncologist that the three of us had the same Vax batch on the same day. He said, ah, seemed too much, but a coincidence. She goes on and says, I'm going to make it. My cancer was detected early. I had a lumpectomy and radiation. The cancer had not spread to my lymph nodes. And just like the woman who lost her husband, Ralph, God does provide. I have a special friend, Alice, who has become my support angel, loved by distance. She is helping me through the dark depths. God is truly amazing. JD, you were right. There can be no other explanation why three healthy adults would de all develop cancer within a few months of the J&J &J injection. You are also correct that people are deliberately being killed in hospice. I later learned that my local hospice gets money for every death. This is incredibly sickening to me. Thank you, Pastor JD, for your ministry. Keep telling me we are near the rapture. I will, every week. She says, I never get tired of hearing this. You are such a blessing. Thank you. And may God bless you, Allie. Capone, come on up. Let's stand up. Yeah. Praise the Lord. That's why, that's why I talk about this. That's why. And I'm going to keep talking about this. Father in heaven, I. Uh, Not that I want to compare myself with Jeremiah, but sometimes I, I feel like him. I, I, I don't want to talk about this. I would love nothing more than to not have to talk about this. But it burns within me, because it's the truth. And we're at the end. And you have called me to proclaim this truth of your soon return and the rapture of the church. It's our only hope, and I cannot be silent. So Lord, thank You. Thank You for this hope that is ours in You, Jesus. Thank You that at any moment we can hear that trumpet sound, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up, raptured up, in the twinkling of an eye given our glorified bodies. And we're going to meet you in the air and be with you forever. And you're going to take us to that place you prepared for us, just knowing that even the loved ones that have died, that we're going to get to see them too. Oh, Lord, thank you. Lord, for anyone who does not know you, has never called on you, put their trust in You. I pray that today, I, I, I beg of You, if you're watching online, or even if you're here in this church service, 
and you're unsure. That's why you're here, by the way. That's why you're still watching online. Today's the day. Today is the day of salvation. Your eternal life begins today. Please, I implore you, do not delay the most important decision of your life for eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.